Why don't we lift our hands, open up our heart to God, and let's pray. We'll pray just before we read the Bible. Is that all right? Yeah, let's do it. Open, open your heart to God. You know, it's great to be in church, but we're, we're, we're here to meet with God. We are here together, and that's great to celebrate together, but we're celebrating together and meeting with God together. So let's pray. But you can pray even for yourself. Don't just, let, don't just let me pray for you. Why don't you pray even yourself and open your heart, offer your heart to God. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're present when we gather together. Lord, that when we walked in, you came in too, Lord God, that you're in this place to meet with us. You're here to lead us and guide us into all truth. You're here to comfort us, Lord God. You're here to counsel us. You're here to shape us and change us. God, we thank you for the promise of the Word that Lord, you're transforming us from glory into glory by your Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name that you do that tonight in all of our hearts, we pray. And everybody said? Everybody said like loudly? Amen. Awesome. You can grab a seat. You can grab a seat. Man, I reckon you need to give the push-uppers another hand. That was an impressive display. I thought that was impressive. That was very impressive. And uh, I think, how many people reckon that that was a pretty good show from Heffron? That was pretty. Um, that was pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. I said to I said to Mark, "Don't worry about Jared. If you get to seventy, you'll beat him." <laughs> uh, anyway, awesome. You guys can grab a seat. Thanks, musicians. If you have your Bible, why don't you grab it and open it up, and we'll read together, and we'll get um, uh, Duncan's on the AV tonight. As just about always, Duncan's doing something, and he's on AV tonight. So we'll get Duncan to throw up the scripture. It's John chapter fifteen, and we're going to read from verse. 1 to verse 8. Is that all right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, chapter 15. How many people have ever gone looking for something in the Bible and you're just sure, you're certain that someone has been moving the books around? Uh, it happens in the New Testament and in the, the little prophet books, the skinny prophets. Uh, rather, the fat prophets are easy to find, but the skinny prophets, not so easy. And uh, if you've got John, chapter 15, say, I've got it. Yeah, okay. We'll just assume everyone's got it. Uh, Duncan's got it, which is the main thing. It says this. Uh, I'm going to read it from the screen, actually, because it's easier to read than my Bible. It says, I am the true grapevine. Everyone say true grapevine. What kind of vine is it? It's a true one. Thank you, Alistair. Alistair, straight away to the application. It's a grapevine. Uh, how many people have ever seen a grapevine? Just a handful of us. A, a grapevine is a pretty awesome, a pretty awesome sort of a plant. And uh, a friend of mine bought a house in Dunedin recently, and they had a greenhouse or glass house in the backyard. I don't think my friend's going to do a lot of gardening in it himself, uh, but there was a grapevine. Uh, that was growing. And if you know Dunedin, it's a bit chilly sometimes. A couple of days a year, it gets a bit cold. Uh, but this grapevine was growing from outside the greenhouse. Now, because the grapes, the, the roots go better in the cold. And then the vine grows into the greenhouse, and then all the leaves are in this nice warm part, and they got these awesome grapes off. It's just a cool, I just thought it was cool. And it's like about a hundred year old grapevine. It's like, well, that's what I imagine. Uh, it was like the, the vine part of it was like that thick, and then the whole greenhouse, in the summertime, the whole greenhouse was just a grapevine, like just like a grape farm. Or, or a vineyard even, but I would call it a grape farm. And uh, it was just packed out. And I just reckon it was a cool thing. And when we think about a grapevine, it's actually a powerful plant. Sometimes you think, we, oh, Jesus said he's the vine. It sounds like, you know, Tarzan. No, it's not that. It's not like, yeah. But it's this grapevine that grows in the ground. He says, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. Uh, he cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so that they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified.
terrified by the message that I have given you. So Jesus is speaking to people who are already following him. They've already heard him. And he says about them that they've already been pruned and purified. In the other translation, it says, you're already clean because of the message that he's given us. So the gospel message. And he says this though, he says, remain in me. In the old translations, it says, abide in me, which is why we've called our series Abide. But the old translations are hard to read. (laughs) So a good word to buy, but anyway, remain in me and I'll remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is cut off or severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered up in a pile, ready to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may, check this out, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to God. Go back to the, the first, the, sorry, verse 7. Oh, eight, sorry. When you produce, no, verse seven, sorry. There we go. But if you remain in me, sorry, Duncan, if you, it's like numbers, it confuses me. Uh, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, that's quite cool, eh? You may ask anything you want and it will be granted. Now, that's one of the big promises in the Bible. You may ask anything you want and it will be granted. We, we've got Jesus saying that in a couple of the other Gospels as well. And it, 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 in Christianity, in church circles, it's one of those things where, that you might say in a prayer meeting or you might say to encourage a friend, come on, if you ask anything you want, it will be granted. But how many can see there's actually more to it than just asking? You know, because Jesus said, if you ask, it will be given you. But he actually said it like this, if you ask and keep on asking, which is different to asking, and this is like, if you remain in me and, and if, if God's word, the gospel, his words, Jesus' words, if the gospel remains in us, there's a dynamic, there's a, there's a process that takes place which changes our experience where we, we go from being powerless to being powerful. We go from people where think we go from the sort of people where stuff is happening to us, where issues are happening at us, where life is happening on us, and we become the sort of people who can just by our words ask God to intervene in situations and see them turn around. I heard a testimony this week from someone in church who just said uh, on a Wednesday he was getting frustrated at work and he said I want some consistent hours, and so he prayed, God, I want consistent hours in my workplace. On the next, I think it was like this, Monday he asked that, Tuesday someone resigned from work, Wednesday they, uh, he, he, uh, they offered him the job, Friday it was all signed up. He went from being a relief teacher to a full-time permanent teacher in a school, which how many people know that that's pretty awesome. That's this verse, he's just asked and God did it. Why did that happen? It happened out of a whole season of frustration for this guy. The testimony goes for months of of trying to push through, trying to make life work. And then he finally realized, what I need is this to happen. And so he just asked it. But it came out of a a season of pressing in and abiding. Do you know, we we need you and I need you and, and the world needs you to be the sort of person who can make a difference. That's That's why some of you are studying what you're studying. That's why I became a school teacher. <laughs> that's why I was a youth pastor. That's why, we, that's why Christy and I lead Equipus Church Wellington because I know God wants me to be the sort of person who makes a difference. But it doesn't matter how good I am at talking. 
It doesn't matter how clever I am at organizing, thank the Lord. It doesn't matter how good we are at marketing, our snazzy Equippers Church marketing. It doesn't matter how good our music is, although it's good. It doesn't matter how great the lights are on a Sunday. What makes a difference in people's lives is that there's fruit. And see, that's fruit, the ability to ask and see something happen. You know, another testimony I heard this week, it's just awesome, of, of a young person I know who had a breakthrough. God did something in their life. Right? I was at Shout Conference. God breaks through in the life of one young person. So one like teenager, young adult, older teenager, right? God breaks through, and there's changes happen in this young person's life to the point where he stops taking drugs at all. So this is a, a person with a drug problem, stops taking drugs because of a breakthrough that God's done in their life, right? How many know that that's pretty awesome? That's a breakthrough, right? But then over, over the next couple of weeks and months, how many know that there's a difficult process that goes on from when you make a decision like that, it gets really, really challenged, right? But then I hear another story of another young person, and um, it's a bit hard to say without naming names, but uh, so someone's talking to this, uh, another young person, right? So not someone who doesn't come to our church. And they're just talking and there's, this guy's got dramas, you know, dramas in life. Uh, and stuff's going on, and all sorts of pressure. And, um, and the person who's talking to him, someone from church, is just talking to him and just shares the story. Oh, you know so-and-so, because they knew each other. You know so-and-so. Well, well, you know, for the last so many weeks, he's not been taking drugs at all. He's found complete freedom, right? He's found complete freedom. Now, it's not, you can't tell the story, oh, you know so-and-so. Well, yesterday he decided. No, come on, across the last wee while, he's found this freedom. And straight away, there's something happens in the life of young person number two. Oh, man, if God can do it for A, he can do it for B. If he can do it for you, he can do it in me, right? And so the story goes on. A few months later... Right? Now we've got a young person, B, who you could say the same story to. Oh, you know, so-and-so, you know, for the last few months, he's been completely drug-free. He's getting his life back in order. He's found purpose where he was purposeless and hope where he was completely hopeless. Now that's fruit. That's changing the world. But it doesn't happen just by God breaking through. It happens by abiding by remaining, by staying. And, and what we're talking about today in church is just a simple thought. We need to come and stay. Come and stay. I don't know if you've ever been invited to someone's house. Hey, why don't you come and stay? Have you ever had some, an invite like that? Oh, come and stay at our place. Now, it's different than someone saying, hey, come to our house for dinner, right? Because then they can get rid of you, you know, at the end of the night, they'll finally push you out the door, you know, but if someone says, hey, come and stay, well, we've got some friends, and, and they invited us to come and stay, and it was probably one of the best holidays we've ever had. They, these, these, these guys said, hey, come and stay with us at our batch. How many people know that? That sounds pretty good, right? But come and stay at our house at our batch, but you have to catch the ferry to Picton in the South Island, and from there, we'll pick you up on the boat, because you can only get to the batch by boat. Right, and so we go out to their batch, and and, and their the family's owned it for a while. The, the, uh, my friend's dad and his brother, so uncle, bought a peninsula in the Marlborough Sounds. Now you might be in the market for a three-bedroom house, but these guys bought a peninsula, right? But they bought it for ages ago, and and on a whim, their wives went with them. They just bought it. Uh, <laughs> 
And, and it's awesome now, but when they bought it, it was, just, it was just a bit of dirt that no one could get to, right? But they had this vision. They buy it, right? And so we get to go and stay there. And there's this house that they've built. It's all self, fully self-contained up in the bush. They've got their own private jetty. They pull their boat in. Uh, and we, we're, fish, we're fishing off the deck. No one else is in the bay because it's just their, their own bay. And then we go uh, 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 snorkeling for scallops. How many people like scallops? If you don't like scallops, change it to something that you think is even better. We go snorkeling for scallops, and we're and normally scallops are a bit tricky to get to. They're tricky to get in Wellington, you know, outside of the reserve. They're hard to find, and uh, and you and and you normally in a lot of time you need tanks and stuff like that. But we were just snorkeling and you you know just diving down. I'm not a very good snorkeler because. I'm all right until I put my head under, then I get nervous. <laughs> uh, and, uh, but anyway, we're snorkeling along. But there were scallops that we were picking up, so full, big-sized scallops that we were picking up without even diving. So I was just on the top snorkeling, and they were just like an arms. I've got longish arms, but they were still just an arm's reach into the water. It's just like this place is awesome. And it was probably the best holiday we've ever had, like four or five days just completely chilling out, eating seafood, jumping on the boat, finding dolphins and whales, exploring places that we'd never, ever go to otherwise unless they'd said, hey, come and stay. See, the, the point I'm telling the story is that I reckon so many of us, we, we have a relationship with Jesus, which is like, hey, hey, let's meet up for coffee. And it's good to have, you know, me and my friend, we meet up for coffee all the time. But there's so much more in our relationship with Jesus than just meeting him for coffee, catching up on a Sunday. Oh, I better get to church, catch up to church. And that man, it's awesome to be in church because God moves and his power is here and, and you can be set free tonight. You can, you, can have your, your, you can get some people to pray with you. Even in the atmosphere of praise and worship, God can break through, right? But there's something more for you. There's something more for me if we go past just having coffee with Jesus, just catching up with him on a Sunday and say, hey, I want to come and stay. I want to come and be part of your world. That's what this scripture is talking about. There's so much more for us if we're prepared to come and stay, right? Now, I, I said this morning, I don't want to go into the whole story about it. You can listen to the recording of the morning message. But uh, uh, this I am statement, I am the true vine, there's six other I am statements in the book of John. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He says, I am the light of the world. You've heard these ones, right? I, he says, I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. He says, I am the gate to the sheepfold. He says, also, he says, I am the good shepherd. Have you heard that one? I am the good shepherd. He says, I'm the resurrection. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And then this is the last one, number seven, is I am the true vine. And it's interesting that the, the first six I am statements are all invitations from Jesus to come and meet with him or come and be sustained. I'm the bread of life. Come and be filled, right? That's the invitation. Come and be filled. I am the light. Come and see. Come and find revelation, right? But the last statement, the number seven one, is I am the true vine. It's not just an invitation to come and eat the grapes, right? So the other ones are, okay, come and eat the bread. Come and partake. Come and find freedom. But this last one, he, he doesn't say, I am the true vine and I'm producing grapes for you. Can you see the difference? Suddenly it's a big difference. See, we, we, we've got to come to church and partake of the bread. You've got to receive the light of life, right? Don't you? If we don't receive the bread of life, what do we have? We have death, right? So you've got to receive Jesus and just take from him. But this last I am statement, he says something different about himself. He says, I am the vine you produce grapes. Don't you reckon that's amazing? Because see, the vine, the part of a vine that he's talking about, the vine part, that doesn't produce any fruit. 
like, you know, when you see an apple tree, the apples aren't all stuck on the trunk. Do you get this? The apples aren't stuck on the trunk. They're on the branches. Same with the grapevine. The, the grapes aren't all just growing around the, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I'm way out of my depth agriculturally here, horticulturally here. Way out of my depth, right? But they, the, the fruit is produced on the branch. And, and actually, the, the fruit is produced quite a long way away from the vine. Is it produced by the branch or is it produced by the vine? Well, it's produced by the branch and the vine being in connection. If, it's not, if, if, the, if the branches aren't connected by the vine to the root, then there's no life coming through, right? And with this invitation of Jesus that says, I am the true vine, there's something in it that I'm praying that you get tonight that you've got to understand that your relationship with Jesus isn't just about you receiving. All six invitations are about you receiving, but there's the seventh invitation that says there's someone else who needs grapes, so you need to grow them. You need to grow them. You know, um, one of the things we say in church all the time, uh, maybe you've heard sermons about it, maybe you haven't. Uh, We talk about the church, uh, and the church is the body of Christ. (laughs) Have you heard that right? Give me a wave. If you've heard that, give me a wave. If you've heard that, the church is the body of Christ. And it's it's quite a cool uh, picture because a body has all sorts of different parts, and church is made up of all sorts of different people with different gifts and different abilities, right? You know, and and, uh, and and church is the body of Christ, and we're all knit together, and we've got this common purpose. It's really a powerful picture that Jesus uses, or the Apostle Paul uses, to describe what the church is, right? And one of the things that <laughs> that Christians also do is they talk about, "Hey, Jesus, come and change our city." And I think that's a prayer every Christian should pray. Every Christian in Wellington should be praying on a daily basis, Jesus, touch our city. Holy Spirit, move in our city. We should be praying for the mayor. We should be praying for the prime minister. We should be praying for school leaders and business leaders because we need Jesus to break through in our city, right? Yeah? Because everything about our city is just an expression of the people who live here. So we need God to touch the lives of the people who live here for the city to be changed, right? So we say that all the time, right? But we also say to Jesus, by our actions, by our attitudes, by the way we live, we pray the prayer, hey, Jesus, change our city, if we think of it. We'll pray that prayer. Hey, Jesus, do something great on campus. Jesus, reach out in my high school. Jesus, do something in my family. But then we want Him to do it without using His body. So we want Jesus to move, but we're not prepared to. Well, the problem is Jesus can't move in Wellington unless the church moves in Wellington. An example, if we get Mark up here, just jump up here, Mark, since we've already picked on you once, we can't offend you anymore, right? And Mark's a great dancer, so just get ready there, Mark, okay? Mark's going to dance for you, but Mark, you're not allowed to use your body. See, it's just not as entertaining. It doesn't have the same power, does it? doesn't have the same impact. It doesn't communicate the same truth. Now, I wonder how often Jesus is wanting to break through in your workplace, and you're praying, Jesus, break through in my workplace, and then all the people in your workplace think Christians and Jesus, they think Jesus just looks like this, because that's all they get to see. All they see of Jesus is something ineffective. All they see of Jesus is something lacking power. All they see of Jesus is something lacking fruit. All the criticisms you hear in the world and the academia everywhere about Jesus and faith and belief are simply, no, you can't sit down. No, sorry, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, good. yeah, you can sit down now, but don't use the chair. No, uh, 
But do you get my point? It's actually a big issue. You, I've got friends on Facebook, and if I write anything about God or Jesus or whatever, uh, they'll jump on board and, you know. They're all, I've, got some, I've got some friends who are like academics, or not they're worse than academics they're, or smart people. They, they think they're smart people, uh, right? And so we have these think we're smart people arguments. I think I'm smart, and so I say this, and they think they're smart, and they say that. Actual smart people must read it and just go, who are these people? right? Who are these people with onions in their head, right? The reality is, but the reality is so much of the criticism, criticisms about God, the criticisms about what Jesus is and what the church can do, are really criticisms about Christians who will pray one thing, say one thing, and then they don't actually release Jesus into the situation. The only way Jesus is going to move in your workplace is out of your mouth and out through your actions. That's really how it works. You've got to do something. You don't have to do much. You don't have to do much, but you've got to do something. We've got to do something individually to, to be the body of Christ. There's no part of, right now, there's no part of your body that's just doing nothing. You know, your hair's there. It's probably the least effective. You know, you know your, your hair's probably the, the least, like, utilitarian, right? But some of you, man, your hair's working for you, you know? Some of you, not so much, right? But but the reality is your hair's doing something. You know, it's keeping your ears warm. Do you know what I mean? Or, you know, or some of you, it's not really keeping anything on your head warm, but it's keeping your arms warm, uh, you know? Uh, you know I, one day, Lucia was really cold, and she said, you're not cold, though, are you, Dad? I'm like, well, I'm a little bit cold. And she goes, no, you're not cold, because you've got fur on your body. Uh, <laughs> meaning my, uh, my, you know, deliciously hairy arms, right? But, but come on, every part of your body's working, right? But is every part of Jesus' body working in our city? And the answer is no, because I can say that categorically, because I'm part of that body, and at least me is not working. At least me is missing some things in God, is holding back parts of my heart, is, 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 is being shy or, or being scared or being fearful or being insecure. At least some of my week I'll feel condemned or maybe unworthy or I'll hold back from God or I'll, I'll, I'll limit my thoughts. I'll be wrapped up in worries. I'll be wrapped up in concerns. I'll be dwelling on the past mistakes. I'll be forgetting about the future glories of Jesus and I'll be just rotting in my own little, stewing in my own juices right? I, I can say categorically the body of Christ is not as effective as it could be because I know that I'm not, because I know exactly what it feels like to be a branch that's been cut off. A branch that's, that's withering and dying. I know that feeling. You know that feeling. You know what it's like to know what, oh, it's great to be connected with Jesus. And then it's like, oh, it sucks to be at work. Well, where's Jesus gone? Jesus isn't just at church. Jesus is everywhere. He wants to work in our city. He wants to produce fruit, and He wants to do it through your life. So have a think about this. There's people who need grapes. I don't know what they need grapes for. <laughs> I don't know what the grapes represent. They need fruit. They need, they, they need sustenance. They need life. And we know that you can lead them to Jesus, the bread of life. You could lead them to Jesus, the, the, the way, the truth, and the life. But what they need is the grapes that are going to grow on your life. Let's get back to our story about young person A and young person B. So young person B finds freedom from addictions. Why? Why? Because of what they read in the Bible? It's not because of the Bible. Now, don't get me wrong. We're a church that believed in the Bible. 
But young person B finds freedom from addiction. Why, from a great sermon that was preached? No, there's no sermon preached. It's just a conversation they had on the side of a road. Young person B finds freedom, and who knows what trouble and difficulty their future life has been averted because of what broke the breakthrough that happened in their life. They find freedom simply because they heard about what happened in the life of young person A. The grapes growing on the life of young person A have brought freedom and life to young person B. Could you just see the power of that? Because the issue is this, how many grapes can grow on a grapevine? Just, they can just grow and grow and grow. Like bunches and bunches of them. How many people can be sustained in our city just by the story of what God's doing in your life? Well, God's not doing much in my life. Well, why? I know why God's not doing much. In, I know why God's not doing much in my life. It's because I'm not connecting. I might come to church and feel the presence of God, but I know that. that but coming to church and feeling the presence of God that doesn't produce fruit. If I come to church, I can receive the bread of life. If I come to church, uh, someone can preach a sermon and the light of God can come alive in my heart. Right now, these are powerful things. These are miracle things. These are things we've got to do. But fruit doesn't come by those ways. It come, fruit comes when we connect with, abide with, and build relationship with Jesus. Amen? Cool. Jesus says something crazy in this passage that I think you need to write down. You need to write this down, particularly if you're at university. He says, Without me, you can produce nothing. Without me, you can produce nothing. If you're disconnected from Jesus, you can produce nothing. Now, so often in our life, we read something like that and, and we think, oh, yeah, okay. But then we live our life like we can produce fruit. We actually live like we don't really believe what Jesus is saying, right? We just live life like we can produce fruit. We, oh, I can do something good. I'm focused on my studies. Now, I've got friends, I was saying this morning, I've got friends who really wanted to do something great for God in the music industry. I've got friends who really wanted to do something great for God in education. I've got more of those because of my studies, right? I've got friends who wanted to do something great for God in business. I've got friends who wanted to do something great for God by planting a church, right? So music industry, business, education, plant in a church, right? These are all different endeavors of the kingdom of God that are all awesome, where Christians are supposed to be at work changing the world, right? I've seen people fail to do anything for God in all of those areas. I've seen people plant whole churches that produce nothing because they got disconnected from the vine in the process of planting a church. Now, the reality is this. If you can plant a church and get disconnected from Jesus in the process... There's nothing you can't do and get it wrong, right? It doesn't matter what you're studying. You've got to understand you, we've got to keep it in the right order. This is how it should work. Jesus is divine, and the life comes from Jesus, and it flows into the branches. This is how the plant works, and this is, how, this is the paradigm Jesus has given us of how kingdom works. 
So if Isaac is called to play drums in a rock and roll band and change the world, the only way he's going to do that is by being connected to the vine Christ Jesus and then out of Jesus Christ can flow an inspiration into his life that reaches out and begins to pop out the end of his life so that when Isaac's playing a rock show, people don't just hear great music, but they get great grapes with the music. It's like there's music and then there's also people just going out in the crowd handing out just plates of grapes for people. As well, that's you know, probably not actual grapes, right? But you, you know, I've got a friend who runs a business. He decides at the start of the year how much he wants to pay himself, and then sometimes from May onwards, he's just working for mission, and all the rest of the money he earns from his business just gets given away. Why? Because he's he's not his business isn't the source. Jesus is the source, and then the kingdom has an impact in his business, right? But I've seen, you can see, you can see hundred examples of it can get in completely around the wrong way. Just the same, right? Cool. Have a look at Matthew chapter 28, verse 11. And uh, Duncan, if you could throw that on the screen as well, that'd be good. Because um, in the dark, it's funny, in the dark, you can't read. Jesus' words disappear out of my Bible because they're in red. If anyone had that. In the dark, you want the words of Jesus to shine brighter, surely. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. I don't know what I said before, but it might have been something completely wrong. Matthew chapter 11. People are like, great commission. He's going straight to the great commission. The other Bible preachers are like, he's got this. He's crazy. You can't go straight to the great commission. That's true. You don't. You go to this one, which is Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Jesus says this. Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy, heavy, hairy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle in heart, and you will find, check this out, rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Come to me, let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, and the to bear, and the burden I give you is light. It's a cool passage of the Bible. Where come to me, everyone who's weary and heavy burdened, and I'll give you rest. I'll give you rest for your souls. It's not a holiday. It's rest for your souls. It's not a day off. It's rest for your souls. Isn't that awesome? Rest from worry. Rest, rest from guilt. Arrest from condemnation. That's the sort of arrest you really want, right? That's the sort of refreshing you can get. And the, the thing is this. When Jesus says it, when Jesus puts out these invitations, like, I'm the vine, I'm the bread of life. And, and this one, he says, come to me. You know, when you come to church, you've got to understand this. When you come to church, when you come to Jesus, when you come to salvation, you've got to understand this, number one. Write it down. The first thing you got to understand from this passage is, if Jesus is saying, come to me, if you're weary and you're heavy burdened, you've got to understand this. Jesus can take the full weight of your sin. He can carry it. Jesus can carry your burden. He even says, hey, cast your burdens on me because I care for you. Throw your burdens on me because I care for you. Do you know, when, 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 when we're on holiday with all the kids, which we were the last week or so, um, there's like, Six, there's actually, when we go on holiday, this is just between you and me because Christine's not here, right? When we go on holiday, there's six people in our family, but there's always seven bags because Chrissy gets a bag for clothes and a bag for shoes. 
right? If you're not married, write that down. You've got to understand, oh, I've just come into terms with it now. Okay, fine. There's seven bags, right? Uh, and, and, but this is how it works. When, when I pull up, when we pull up at the hotel, right, we pull up at the hotel, I park the car or the, or the motor camp or, we, or even when we get home, which is the worst thing because the car is the biggest mess, right? You get home and there's seven bags in the car, right? And there's seven people's pillows and there's 27 soft toys, right? Everyone had the rule. The rule was when they packed the bag, you're only taking one stupid soft toy each, right? Just dad's rules. It's dad's rule. And then suddenly by the, they've all been, yeah, they take a few soft toys each and they've all been mating on the whole holiday and you get home and the, you know, the place is full of bears and, and dinosaurs and dino bears. It's, it's scary, right? This is what we do. We pull up anywhere, the car is full of stuff, full of stuff. It doesn't matter what's in the car. The car is full of stuff. Chrissy gets out and walks in, right? That's fair enough, right? She walked down the aisle on the, on, on the assumption that from now on, she's not carrying bags, right? <laughs> she didn't marry me so that she could carry bags, right? You know, so she gets out of the car, she walks in. Lucia, she's four, she gets out of the car and walks in, if I'm lucky. Usually, she waits for me to carry her in right? Austin, he's seven. If it's late at night, he's, he, he, he's asleep, asleep in the back of the car. I'll carry him as well, right? I make the big, the 12-year-old or the 10-year-old, I'll make them walk for themselves, you know? Can I get out of the car, you know? Right? Chrissy walks in. I've got to carry half of everybody else, and no one's even thinking about the bags. Why? Because every single other person in my family, they know that I can carry all those bags. They're not like, oh, we better give dad a hand. No one's thinking that. And it's not because they're, they're selfish or they don't care. They just know I'm the biggest. I'm the strongest. They, they, actually, know, they actually know that secretly I like carrying as many bags as possible. <laughs> they do. And I complain or whatever, but they know that I like it. They know that I like being the toughest in the whole family. In the whole street. Don't tell anyone but me. I am. Right? <laughs> now, here's the deal. Gee, just, just leave the bags. Just leave it. Just, Jesus just says, hey, cast all your cares on me because I care for you. He's not, he's not like, oh, we better help Jesus with the sins. No, you can't help him. You can't carry the sins. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I better carry all Jesus. I'll give you, I'll give you, I'll give you, I'll give you this sin and that sin, but I'll carry the really bad ones. What? What? No, apart from Jesus, you can't, you can do nothing. Just, just go like this. Nothing. You can't do anything. Or the, some of us do it the other way around. We say, well, I'm going to give Jesus all my really bad sins. You know, murder, piracy, internet piracy. You know, I'm going to give Jesus. That's a sin, by the way. Write that down too. Right? <laughs> ah, people are like, no, he said it in church. I have to believe it. No, it's true. You can't steal stuff like, you know, music. And like anyway, I'll give Jesus all my big sins, you know, you know, swearing, you know, pulling the fingers. I'll give him my big sins. Uh, and then, it's also a sin. Uh, and then I'll carry all the little ones. So we've got Christians who think that they can deal with the little problems in their life. Well, you know, I'll, I'll work on patience and, and I'll work on humility. Lord, make me humble. It's not working. You know, what are you going to do? What makes you think you'll ever do anything right? 
Why would you think, why would you think you could measure up to any standard? You can't organize your sock drawer. Come on, people. God's not in heaven th- thinking, oh, when's Abraham going to get it right? When's Mark going to get it right? He's up in heaven going, when is Mark going to realize he's not going to get it right? He's going to cast the wrong onto me. He, God's not up in heaven thinking, oh, you know, Jordan's just got to get it together. He's thinking, when is Jordan going to realize he hasn't got it together? Right? The only one fooled by our show is us. The reality is we've got to cast it because Jesus can take the full weight of our sin. He can take the full weight of sin. And you've got to come to the point where you realize there's nothing you can do that will please him. Apart from just giving him your sin and connecting with him. The other thing you've got to understand from this, this verse, Jesus says, come to me if you're weary and heavy burden. I'll give you rest. Give me your burdens. Give me your pain. Give me your sorrow. And then he says, put my yoke upon you. And learn from me. Put my yoke upon me, you, and learn from me. Come and learn. So we give Jesus all our sins, right? We just give him all our our brokenness. And then he says, put my yoke upon you and learn from me. The message says, walk with me, work with me. Let me teach you the unforced rhythms of grace. And this it says, uh, I'll teach you how to live freely and lightly. My yoke is easy, my burden is light, right? So number one, Jesus can take the full weight of our sin. Number two, he can also take the full weight of our following. See, what the yoke is, it's not like egg yolks, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's what you'd put on two oxen. And if you have, if you've got, two oxen, if you go into the market, you don't buy two good oxen, because you don't need two good oxen, you need one good oxen and one cheapie, right, then you put them together, and the good ox's work is multiplied by the second ox just walking alongside them, so you gotta, you got to put Jesus' yoke on you, stop trying to pull the cart of your life all by yourself. Well, I've come to Jesus and I've given him my sin. Now I'm going to head off in my own direction and do my own thing. That's not what Jesus is saying. He says, come on, learn from me. Walk with me. Work with me. Let me teach you the unforced rhythms of grace because my yoke is easy. My burdens is light. We've got to understand there's nothing we can do that will even measure up to God. We, we cast our sin on God, and then we just choose to work with Him and connect with Jesus. We, all, all we do is walk beside Him, and He puts that yoke across us, and we can pursue everything God's called us to be. We can be fruitful is another way of thinking about it. We can be effective, right? We've got to take up that yoke. We've got to learn to walk with God. I just need a time check, Ali, because my phone's gone flat. Perfect, isn't that Perfect. 20 past what? <laughs> 20 past nine, you crazy fool. Anyhow. <laughs> Have you, I don't know if you've ever seen it. I think I've only seen it one time in, in um, overseas. Is people doing that plate thing. Have you seen the plate thing? Spinning the plates. And you get, you get this one plate going, and then you get another plate going. And like the guys who are good at, well, maybe 20 or sometimes more plates will all be spinning. They get a plate and you spin it on a stick, just a stick and a plate, and the spinning of the plate balances on the stick. You know, obviously, it's outside of my skill set because um, 
anyway. <laughs> There's no food on the plate. It's just a plate. Food on it would, it would be a real skill, right? But, um, and then... There's the spinning the plates, and so you've got maybe 15 plates spinning, and then as one's about to, you keep in going, and then as one's about to fall, it's like getting wobbly. They come and they just give it a little tweak and get it spinning again. It's like multiple basketballs on fingers, right? They're getting all these plates going. And then you've got from that whole idea, you've got this saying of keeping the plates spinning. And maybe it's a bit of the middle-aged thing, you know, people who are in their 40s and late mid-30s, right? We, we've got this whole lifestyle of keeping plates spinning. But maybe, I can't remember, when I was at university, I didn't have many plates. But, but you've got, I guess at university, you've got more plates than you had before. You know, you've got to keep your studies going, but you've also got to earn some money, and you've got to go to a stupid flat meeting, and you've got to cook on Wednesdays, right? And you're also on the, on the flaming creative team at church, and they want you to learn a new song, right? And so just where you're learning a new song, you realize you've got an assignment that needs to be done, so you give that a spin, right? And then you realize that it was your mom's birthday the day before, so you've got to get a really good present now, right? And you get that plate spinning, and oh, yeah, sorry, mom. Yeah, no, I haven't forgotten. It's, it's on its way. And you get that plate spinning. And then because you had to buy a good present for your mom, you've got to do extra hours at work, which means that your assignment is even further behind. So you run across your assignment and get that. Plates, but is anyone feeling tired? Yeah, and then you go, oh, You've got to read your Bible and you got to do worshiping, and you got to go, you got to go to church, and you got to tithe, but you also want to save for your holiday and pay off your present for your mom. And you, you know, you're keeping it all spinning, right? Do you know what you need to do? Let all the plates fall over and connect with Jesus. Oh, but I've got my business. You know, do you know what? The best thing for your business, if you're a business owner or your work, your career, the best thing for your career is not for you to constantly run from thing to thing to thing to try and keep it working, but maybe a connection with Jesus, like a real connection, abiding connection with Jesus, out of that connection can flow some life. And instead of you running from plate to plate, maybe the life of God could come into your business. Maybe the life of God could come into your relationships. Maybe the life of God can come into your studies. Are you running from thing to thing in your studies? Are you running? Some people are too busy. They're too busy studying to go to church. Other people, like me, would be too busy at church to do study. Well, that's not right. Somehow we've got to connect with Jesus so that everything flourishes. You know, Psalm 892 says, Blessed are those who dwell in the courts of God, who are planted in the house of God. In their old age, they'll still be flourishing, Right? Right, whatever place we've got to spend, we've got to be flourishing. The life of God comes as we connect with Him. If you feel like you're spinning plates, come on, you, what, the, the solution isn't running faster. The solution isn't knocking over that, well, I'm not serving on church teams anymore. It's not working. The solution isn't, well, I need to change courses. I need to stop going to university. I need to quit my job. I need to, oh, sorry, I need to forget about birthday presents anyway. Right? And the solution isn't that. The solution is to say, I'm going to connect. I need, I need the life of God flowing into all of my life. I need the power of God flowing into all of my life. How many people reckon that's a good idea? Musicians, why don't you come? We're going to, we're going to pray just before we close our service tonight. You know, it's been, I've just had such an awesome time preparing this message. And I was, you know, just, uh, even just last night as I was going to sleep, you know when you set your alarm on your phone and it tells you how many hours 
Does your phone do that? Your phone, your alarm is set for so many hours away. I was like, I just set my alarm. I was like, oh, it's not really enough hours. But I just had this feeling of just not contentment, just just the sense of God's presence. Just because this is what I've been reading all week and thinking about. You know, does it matter how organized we are on a Sunday? Yeah, it does matter. But what matters more is, is the life of God in our hearts. Is the, is the flow of God in our world? Is there, is there a flow? And the question you've got to ask yourself, is there a flow of God? Is there a flow of Jesus' life in you? Or, or are you, because you're either connected and the flow of God's life is in you, whether it's the winter season or the summer season, right? Good times or bad times. I'm not asking what the times are like. I'm asking what's going on inside. Is there a flow of the life of God? Because some of us can be in real good times, but there's no flow and we're still withering. Some of us, though, can be in real hard times, and maybe even in your own life you've experienced both, being in real hard times, but knowing that it's a good thing, knowing that God's at work inside. Do you know, tonight, I want to say to you that it, God, the life of God is available to you. The, the flow of God's life is available to you. And it, it, it's, it's, it's important that you connect with Jesus, that you abide with Him. It's important for you to experience purpose and, and hope. But it's, it's even more important for our city. It's more important for those around you that you've got a life that produces fruit. You might not have a drug problem, but you are young person A in every story. Right now in this room, this is a room full of A. You know, university lecturer A. Security guard A. Employment coach A. Architecture student A. But there's an architecture student B and an employment coach B and and a security card B who need to hear the story of the A. They don't need to hear about Jesus. They've heard about the baby in the manger. Do you know what they need to see? They need to see the fruit of Jesus. They need to have some grape sweet and think, wow, the proof of the pudding's in the tasting. If God can do it for him, he can do it for me. If God can do it for her, he can do it for me. There's young mum A who needs to, to produce some fruit for the sake of young mum B. Do you get the picture? Don't, I reckon for me it's exciting that out of my life, God wants to do something in the lives of others. God wants to put, be a blessing and do something great in the world of others. Amen? Cool. Why don't you close your eyes for just a second? And maybe you're here tonight and, and some of what I've said, I'm really hoping has, has impacted your heart, particularly tonight when I'm talking about the power of Jesus to take on the full weight of our sin. Nearly every church that I've been part of, and, and it sneaks into my thinking all the time, you can get the idea that we, that we come to Jesus and, and then we have to somehow measure up. But really, we come to Jesus because we're burdened by our sin. We're weighed down by our heaviness. And He gives us rest. He takes the full weight of our sin upon Himself. He's able to do that because He was perfectly good. He's perfectly God. He died a painful death in our place. He didn't just die though. He rose again to life. The Bible says that death couldn't hold Him down. The grave couldn't hold Him because He is King of kings and He's Lord of lords. And tonight, the first step in your journey following Jesus begins with acknowledging your own sin, your own inability to measure up to God's plan and God's purposes in your life. 
and also acknowledging that Jesus' death in your place, that He took the penalty for your failings, He took them upon Himself, and He gives to you His perfection. And then we acknowledge Jesus as our Lord, which means we say, Jesus, we're making you the boss. We're making you the center of our world. We're choosing to follow you. So tonight, I want to pray with anyone here tonight who's not made that decision before. Maybe you've never made the decision to acknowledge Jesus. Maybe you've never invited Him into your life. Maybe you've never asked Him to forgive your sin. Well, I'd love to pray with you tonight and lead you in a prayer where you can invite God to be your Savior. You can invite Jesus to be your Lord. So I've asked everyone to close their eyes and bow their heads so that you've got some privacy. And, and if that's you, all I'm going to ask you to do in just a second is just lift your hand, give me a wave. Once I've seen your hand, you can put it back down. And then once everyone's had a chance to respond, uh, then we'll pray. A simple prayer acknowledging Jesus. 